for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning. It's a delight to be with you and to have the privilege to teach God's Word. Um, I would like to take credit for all of the good things um, about Scott and all the bad things you can credit to the elders, uh, Alan in particular. So, uh, yeah, I am a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Scott and Shannon, and um, I'm like the captain of their fan club. So it's really a, a privilege to, to be here and to be among you and to, to share God's Word Um, We're in a series called Encounters, and um, the closest I could get is that the book that we're going to study and begins with J, because I know that most of you, uh, most of the series of Encounters is going to be in the book of John, but I decided to go all the way back, you know, behind enemy lines, deep in the Old Testament to the book of Job. And so I've hand-selected Job chapter 1, and here's why. So we're going back 4,000 years, folks. Here's why. Job was the first Old Testament book written. And I know it sits in the wisdom literature in the copy of your scriptures, but it was the first one written. Uh, Job falls in place in timeline after Babel, but before Moses. His contemporaries would be Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, those cats. And so he would kind of fit in there. And the Holy Spirit struck this chapter first as the first thing written in the canon, in the the scriptures. And I thought it would behoove us this morning uh, to spend some time explicating this text. And so we're going to look at Job chapter 1 in its entirety. We're going to go back 4,000 years. Now, another place that Job appears, one other place is in James in the New Testament. James chapter 5 and verse 11. And James said, Have you heard... Of the endurance of Job. Have you heard of the endurance of Job? Job is going to teach us in this encounter how to respond when bad things happen to good people. How do we respond when bad things happen to good people? So join me in Job chapter 1. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, go split it in the middle. You're in Psalms, right? Hang a left. Get into the wisdom literature there a little bit, and uh, you're, you're real close if you're in the Psalms, and get to Job chapter 1. The first thing the Spirit ever wrote down was this chapter, and I find it fascinating, relatable, riveting, game-changing. It's one of my favorite chapters. As a matter of fact, my blog, Leaders Don't Plant panic is based on this chapter itself. So this is a significant morning. We need to get busy. we got a lot of work to do, right? And this passage, we need to get busy and see what the Lord wants to teach us. If you don't mind, I'm going to read Job 1, 1 to 12. We'll save the latter part when we get there, okay? And let me just frame it up a little bit. There are three scenes here. We're going to use three principles or ingredients, but there's three scenes. It starts off in the land of us which is, um, uh, you know where Moses was for 40 years in, in, in Meridia? It was, it's like adjacent to that at the foothills, mountains going up, desert on the floor. And um, uh, so that's where it was in the land of Uz here. And, um, and so it starts in the land of Uz. Then we're transported to heaven in a conversation between the devil and God. Fascinating. 
Fascinating stuff. And then we're going to come back to us in the latter part of the chapter. Deal? Let's just look at the first 12 verses, though, to appreciate them and to get them. Now, this water at my feet, is that bothering you? Because we're like in World Cup right now. Mexico plays tomorrow, my team. And I feel like I just want to kick it. I like have this urge in my preacher just want to level that water bottle, but I'm going to leave it there. I don't know why they do that to us, but anyway, there. Here we go. So let's look at Job 1, uh, 1 to 12, and let's read the text. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from all kinds of evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. They were born to him. His wealth uh, was about 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a lot of workers. And the man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Note that. His sons used to go out and on their birthday hold a feast in the house of each one on their day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when those days of feasting had been completed or they finished their course, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said this, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus he did it all the time. He was always covering as a dutiful father uh, his children. Scene one, curtain closes. Scene two. Now there was a day when the sons of God, those are angelic beings, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And look who's with them. And Satan also came in among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord asked the second question. The Lord said to Satan, Hey man, have you heard of my servant Job? For there's no one like him on earth. He's a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job really fear God for nothing? Have you not blessed him, put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has and on every side you, you bless the work of his hands, you give him stuff, you give him all the gospel goodies, so therefore that's why he's following you. But if you put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, I promise you, Satan says, he'll curse you to your face. Challenge is on. And then these frightening words. And then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put your, your hand on him. He's talking about physically. That's chapter 2. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Again, 4,000 years ago, this was written 2000 BC, 4,000 years ago, first thing the Holy Spirit ever penned is this encounter with God, the devil, and Job. And it is for our consideration uh, this morning. Now, let's ask ourselves the question. When, when bad things happen uh, to us, we, we start processing, right? I mean, that's fair. You do it. I do it. And I don't know about you, but in my flesh, I always ask the first question, hey, did I sin? <laughs> did I bring this trial on my life? 
because of something I did, a bad decision, lack of wisdom, lack of judgment, right? And sometimes that's the reason we get ourselves into, into trouble, right? And the Bible says, the, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines us. Just like a faithful parent will discipline their children, God disciplines his children, and it's a reflection and a demonstration of his love. And so sometimes you get jammed up because uh, you're an idiot like I'm an idiot, right? And uh, that, that's just the way this works. Another uh, reason or explanation could be that the Lord wants you to minister to somebody else or to have a, a, a different flavor of ministry. And so he brings things into your life, 2 Corinthians 1, so that you'll be able to better minister, not only minister the word, but minister the word coupled with and married with experience. That's some of the reason that happens, 2 Corinthians 1. And then sometimes some of you are, are proudful like I am, right? And like the Apostle Paul was. I mean, he had a kind of cool title, the Apostle Paul. And uh, so he needed to be humbled. And you remember 2 Corinthians 12? You know, he got a what? Thank you. Exactly. He, 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 you know, the Lord kind of put it to him a little bit and said, no, you got to bring it down a couple notches, Turbo. You know, relax, bring her in a little bit, tighten it in. And so a lot of you guys like me, you, you struggle with that. And so sometimes we, we bring this stuff on us. Other occasions... There are heavenly reasons. A lot of times you'll never know why. You won't know until you get to heaven, and I've had a bunch of these over the course of my 32 years um, as a believer. Um, you, you, you'll, you'll get to heaven, and that first day you're going to kind of say, hey, what happened with, uh, you know, I can't quite figure that thing out, you know? And, and because you're, you know, in the flesh, you won't understand all the things that are happening. And then Deuteronomy 12 says the secret things belong to the Lord, and, and sometimes you don't know what's going on, but bad things happen to good people. You probably know somebody that you think, man, they're stand-up, right? World-class guy, world-class mom, and then all of a sudden everything starts unraveling, and, and difficulty, difficulty comes. Job chapter 1 is provocative and helpful and relatable because it, it, it teaches us how to respond to and when things happen to you. you. You don't get out of trials. There's no get out of trials free cards in the Christian life. Uh, you will experience difficulty. We live in a Genesis 3 world. It's broken. Since Genesis 3 forward to this day, it's broken. You're not a part of this world. If you're in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. Uh, Philippians 3.20 says. So this is a part of the deal. So people are going to die. Just this past week, I've had to make a decision with my mom and terminate uh, cancer treatment. She's 87 years old. And uh, we collectively made the decision that uh, she'd be better off in heaven. And she loves the Lord. And, but it's hard, man. It's painful uh, to see my mom having to transition to uh, to heaven. I, I, I'm going to miss her, but heaven welcomes her, and we understand that. I'm just saying, like, you're going to die. It's a 100% chance you're going to die. And things happen, and it's bad, and it's messy, and it's hard, and, and it's dark, and, and sometimes we grope in that darkness for explanation, right? We want to know what's going on, and sometimes you've done nothing wrong. That's the case with Job. This guy has done nothing wrong. So what I want us to do in our time this morning, if you're willing to get busy with me, is to look at the three ingredients here to, to understanding what biblical endurance looks like. What, what is the composite of endurance? And for the guys, uh, I'll, I'll say spiritual ruggedness, right? We need every once in a while, the church got to, you know, ah. So, so this is like the three ingredients of spiritual ruggedness or the three ingredients of, of endurance. Gospel endurance, when trials come your way, not 
if, but when they come, how are you going to respond? Job puts a stake in the ground. Job is the archetype. He's the example, the tupas. He, he nails it, and it's the first chapter ever written. So this is the encounter with Job, and I hope to bring some clarity and some light, and this should be fun. This is a, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing passage, okay? So let's get busy. Ingredient number one, you ready? Write it down. You must hold fast to your integrity. When trials come your way, hold fast your integrity. What I have seen as a pastor over the years, when difficulty comes to the sheep, oftentimes they run from church, not to it. And that's a misconception. That's a bad philosophy of going to church, right? Because the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. You see, we're all jammed up in here. We're all damaged goods. We all need Christ every single day of our lives, right? And so the church tends to, to run, and, and they don't hold fast, and, 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 they, and they depart, and they go out on the fringes, and it just makes them more and more vulnerable, and, and life unravels more and more. And you've seen this yourself, so let me just, as a footnote, put it there. When you get jammed up in life, run to the church, right? Race to church. Get here as quick as possible. Well, let's begin by looking at Job's integrity. Look at verse 1 with me. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that we see that Job is a spiritual man. There was a man in the land of Uz, across from Meridian, whose name was Job. And look at the commentary in this cat. The man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. What that says is, folks... He's not in sin. His character is intact. He has a respectable force of character. He, he is a blameless man. Now, he's not a perfect man, and he's not Superman. He's just a man. Just a man. And you can be blameless, too, just like you expect your elders to be. You can be blameless. It means there's no sustained pattern of sin in his life. And when sin enters, you just deal with it. You keep short sin accounts. You confess sin. I've been confessing sin my whole life. I eat so much crow in our home, it tastes like prime rib. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I'm just like, I get up in the morning and say, I, I, I sin. She goes, what? I don't know. I just, I know I'm going to sin today. I just sin. I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? You just got to kind of own it, right? You know, can, repentance of sin is, is, as Proverbs 6.23 says, is the way of life. It's just part of what we, we do as believers. But it, the text is not saying he's sinless <clears throat> and he's not Superman. He's just a man. He's just a man. Then the text says he's upright. Uh, that means he kind of stays on the straight and narrow, as we say today. You know, he kind of just stays on the gospel path and, and, and keeps a, a good eye on his spiritual footing. Third, it says he fears God. There's the basis for it right there. He takes God serious. Um, he, he's not half-hearted. He's not like the church of Laodicea, one foot in the church, one foot in the world, and kind of straddling the fence. No, no, he's pretty committed. He fears God. And then lastly, it says he hates evil. I mean, he gets out of, you know, if you don't want the fruits of sin, get out of sin's garden. He never gets in the garden, right? He just kind of stays out of that garden and says, hey, I don't want any of that. I, I don't need any of that. Now, footnote, he doesn't have the church. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit, right? It, it comes and sits, but it doesn't live inside of it like it does us today. I mean, he doesn't have a Bible. This is the first thing written. And look at this guy. He's demonstrating a respectable force of character. And how do I know that? Well, verse 1 says it. But you could say, well, that's just the author. And if Job slipped in and kind of wink, wink, wrote it, <laughs> that's, 
Oh, Shazam, that's funny. You know, you can write your own commentary. Yeah, I know how that works. Oh, no. But then look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on earth. He's a blameless man, upright, blah, blah, blah. That's God's commentary. So the author says he's rock solid. God says he's rock solid. But there's one witness we all need to ask, and that's mama, his wife. Because she lives with the old cat. And if he's, you know, one thing at church and another at home, it's going to get ugly, right? Flip over to 2-9. Look at it. Don't be scared. I don't hear pages moving. Or swipe. you got to swipe. All right. I'll do it for you. How's that? Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Yeah. So she says he's, that's the trifecta. The author, God, and now his wife says he's a godly man. I'm telling you, he's a godly man. He holds fast his integrity. Second thing under this principle is that he was a wealthy man. And the way they measured wealth back then, he had high net worth, was by the, it was an agricultural world. Um, so they would measure it by your, 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 your agriculture and, and what your, your different businesses around ag in an agrarian culture. And it says, that's why it puts it like this in the first letter. He had 7,000 sheep, so that means he had a lot of wool, right? It was like the Brooks Brothers 4,000 years ago making those killer suits. And then he has 3,000 camels, okay, transportation business, right? Uh, 500 yoke of oxen. Well, you got to feed this 11,000 here on his payroll. you got to feed them, right? So you got to have tons of fields, oxen. And then 500 female donkeys. You're like, uh-oh. Have you ever wondered what a donkey's for? I mean, you go by and you see them in a field and you're like, those people bought a donkey. Here's what the deal was. Back then, warm female donkey milk was like Starbucks. It was a whole business. That's what they drank in the morning. They didn't have Starbucks. Schultz wasn't born. They didn't have Seattle. That's what it was. And so he had a full uh, coffee business, kind of a, you know, a small batch, single farm kind of donkey business, you know. And uh, that's what he did. And then, the, and then the text says, hey, and just footnote under the shell, he was the greatest man of the East. Pretty respectable dude, right? Quite a resume. And then we learn he was a third family man. Look at it. So here's the deal. What would happen is uh, they would get together as a family on their birthday. And like any family reunion, they're prone to a little revelry, right? Everybody has a crazy Uncle Buck, right? I don't know if you go to your family reunion, I go to mine, you know, and they're like, oh, wow. How did I turn out like this? You know, it's like, you don't ever do that? You know, they're stomping. You know, and you're just kind of like, wow, like this is awesome, you know, or you go to your, your, your wife's family, it's even worse, like they're from West Virginia, they're all named Shane, you know, and you know what I'm saying, like it's like, wow, what is happening, I'm sorry if you're from West Virginia, I, was, I live in Kentucky, so we just make fun of each other, and, um, but you get it, I mean, like that's how they kind of, that, that's how they, they, they measured, well, here, here's the deal, so they would get together on their, and they'd party all night, and uh, matter of fact, uh, verse 13 talks about them drinking wine, uh, at one of these festivals. And so dad, being a godly guy, he wants to cover his kids. So he would get up the next day and he would go out and offer a sacrifice. That was his d devotional. It wasn't like a pour over in your scriptures and air conditioning on the back porch or the ceiling fan like from, you know, um, you know Tommy Bahamas going in, you know, by your pool. No, no, no. You'd go out and, you know, cut a lamb's neck. And that's what they did. But listen to this. This is pre-sacrificial system. This is pre-Leviticus. This is the first book written. 
So he just, that's his visceral response. Like, I, 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 he was a dutiful father. I, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to cover my kids. It's what we do today as dads, right? There's sometimes you just slip in the room. You pray over your kids. Put your hand in your kids. Say, Lord, you know, help them to love Christ and not do anything stupid today. You know, like, that's what is going on here. And it's just a picture. It, it's like him, it, it's like the writer saying, hey, everything about this guy is rock solid. He's a family man. He's a wealthy man. A high net worth, uh, he's a godly man. And so what he's trying to say in those first five verses is he is doing nothing wrong. What's about to happen happens in a single day. A single day. It's a nightmare day. It's a day that I don't even have a category for, as we'll see in a second. And it all happens like that to him, but he did nothing wrong. He didn't bring this on himself. This wasn't a, a judgment of God in his life. And I know that's where we go to, right? Right out of the gate. That's like kind of what I go to and, and, and feel, and, and that's not the case with him. What I love about this text, though, is here's what's so cool about it, is, is that we get to go to heaven now. And so you see in verse 6... In verse 6, we get, we get transported um, to heaven. So you see in verse 1, there was a man. Then in verse 6, there was a day. There was a day. And we're introduced here at this point um, to the second ingredient of endurance or spiritual ruggedness. And it's this. You have to learn to embrace life's trials. You have to hold fast to your integrity, 1 to 5. And as we move into the second scene, you have got to embrace life's trials. This is crazy because other than Revelation 5, you really don't get the, 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 the curtain pulled back. You don't get to see heaven. This is an occasion where you get to go into heaven with him. And remember, keep in mind, Job doesn't know this is going on. You do because you're reading hindsight into the story and you're seeing it now written down. He's oblivious. Everything's great in us. I mean, he's at the top of his game. Business is going great. Kids are tad crazy, but, you know, that's called parenting. And, uh, you know, that's just, it's just part of it. It's just like good life. I mean, he's just, he's just crushing it in us. He's just crushing it. And it's just a great, a great example. And then there was a day, verse 6, when the sons of God came to present themselves. That's demons. I mean, uh, angels. And, and then Satan also came with them. Isn't that a crazy sight? Satan has access to the throne, right? He, 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 uh, he gets in there as well. It, it's a crazy, crazy deal. And then the Lord asked a question about him, to him. He said, the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth, walking around. You say, hold on. Isn't God omniscient? Yeah. So who's he asking that question for? Not for himself. He's asking it for us. He's trying to teach us something about the devil. And you take that question and couple it with 1 Peter 5, 8, which states that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Amen. See? Thanks, Steve. And this is just part of it, right? This is just the way this works. You, and so what he's doing is he's, he's giving you insight. He's giving you insight into this, this, this throne room conversation. And God goes on the offensive and says, hey, where you been? So that you would know that, folks, you're being hunted. You're his choice meal as a lion. You're that gazelle. And the minute you stop, the predator will catch you and destroy your precious life, your Christian life. 
And so you have to remember you're being hunted. And it's such a, it's a little bit of a devilology. You're like, you're learning things about Satan as we kind of traverse this rough terrain here. We're going to learn a ton of things about Satan's behavior, right? Second question. Second question he asked, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Man, he, he trusted Job. He knew his character. He knew how he would respond to the ultimate trial. This is the, 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 the big one, right? The, the, the major trial in his life. And look what Satan does. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? He's basically saying, look, you take away the goodies, you take away the blessings, you take away the high net worth and the health of the kids and all that stuff, and he'll crumble like a house of cards. He will collapse. He will fall under the pressure God says no, because true saving faith endures. It's called the perseverance of the saints. It endures. As a matter of fact, as believers, you are built for crisis. You're built for trouble. You're made for trouble. You've got all the equipment and all the, the means. It doesn't make it easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but we're made for it. Why wouldn't we have trouble? We're the ones that can handle the trouble. And so Satan and, and God get into this verbal match and Satan says he'll fall, he'll collapse, take out the blessings. And God says, no, he won't. And you see the game's on. There's a couple of things you need to know about Satan. First off, the access to God. And we know that from Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that he is the accuser of the brethren. So he'd love to mock when you sin. He likes to mock God and say, see, they're devoted followers of Jesus and look how they act. So he loves to do he, he loves to do that. And here's how I frame up my thinking about Satan. I don't, um, I don't underestimate him because he's the prince and power of the air. You're about to see in minutes here uh, that he controls weather patterns, right? He brings upon uh, trials, which he's about to do here. Um, so he's taken down bigger boys than me. So I, I, I kind of walk softly. I, I, I'm careful so I don't underestimate it, and then I don't overestimate him. He's not God, he's not omniscient, and he needs permission, as you see in the text. He just can't waltz into your life. So what that tells us is that even in this moment, it, any, even in God's hard gifts to you, not just his good gifts, but his hard gifts to you, it comes through Jesus. There's permission granted. Look at the text. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And then these words. These are the, the craziest words. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. See, he's powerful. Not omnipowerful. Not omniscient. Not omnipotent. Only do not put your hand on him physically. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And when I say departed, I mean lickety split, right? He made haste. As the Old Testament says, he got out of there and he, he went after Job, all right? In this section from 6 to 12, and what we're about to see is to remind us that we are called to endure trials, and sometimes we get trials in our life and difficulty in life, and we've done nothing wrong. And there's this cosmic battle going on, and Satan say, no, he'll collapse. And God says, no, true saving faith, he'll abide, he'll do fine. He'll, 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 he's tough as nails, bring it on, throw everything you got. And remember, as we move into this next section, this is a single day. One nightmare day, but it is a, a single day. Ray Stedman said this about Satan. He says, you can just see him there. 
in the throne of grace, sauntering about, hands in his pockets, picking his teeth, a disdain look on his face, just waiting for the opportunity to accuse the brethren, right? And so the challenge is on. Look at verse 13. Now in the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Again, there's been a birthday, some day to celebrate, and they're gathering together. And remember, everything is great. They're at the top of their game. Everything's going along smooth and in us, and then shock and awe. While at the house, Job gets a a knock at the door. Messenger number one, look at verse 14. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the dog geese were feeding beside them. And then these Sabaean terrorists attacked, and they took them. They also slew all the workers with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Man. So the ability to feed, the oxen are all gone. The ability to feed, and the Starbucks business is gone. Man, that's a lot for just the morning. Messenger number two, knock at the door. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, look at the rapidity, like, Instantly, like he's still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Lightning. Insurance adjusters here call this right like acts of God. Right? This is precision. It tells you Satan can control the elements. That's where we get that from. Precision lightning taking out all the sheep. There goes the the Brooks Brothers business. Right there. You're like, man. But, you know, this guys he's a player. He has been to the top. He can rebuild. He's thinking, we got this. Still got some business left. Third messenger of doom. Verse 17. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Oh, no. There goes the transportation business. And really to, to restart and to be an entrepreneur and, and, and to rebuild the business, I mean, it's going to be hard to find employees when not only did you lose all of the commodity, but all the employees were slaughtered. It's going to be hard to recruit at minimum wage to come work for Job when most people die. So this is a bad situation, but you know what? He's been to the top. He's a, he's a good businessman. And you know what he's probably saying? He's probably saying what you and I would be saying, man. He'd say this, you know what? I still have my family. We can rebuild the business. It's material. God's blessed us. We're okay with that. But we still have our 10 precious children and maybe a grandchild on the way soon. Right? Verse 18. While he was still speaking... Another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating, drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they all died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Uz was up against the mountains, right? Desert on the floor, mountains tucked in there. Warm air hits cold air, tornadic activity. 
tornado takes out the house, kills all of his kids. I don't know about you, but I don't have a category for that. Ten kids. So now Job's lost his entire business, and he's burying all ten of his kids. He's standing over their graves, right? And his wife's looking at him going, what have you done? Right? Curse God and die. She's going to say it in two nine. Like, can you imagine the tears and the weeping and the pain and the anguish in the text, you know? And it's a, it's a reminder to us that we're called to endure life's trials. This is a broken, hard, harsh world. You're made for this. And Job is, is, I mean, I'm telling you, that's all in a single day. I mean, one of us could handle one of those things collapsing or one of our children, and maybe some of you have lost a child. Uh, and as hard as that is, but 10 in a day? I, I don't even get it. It's such shock and such awe and, and, and such pain. It leads us to our third ingredient. And that is we are to worship no matter what. We're to endure life's trials, we're to hold fast to our integrity, and we are to worship no matter what. Look at verse 20. Then Job arose. Why did he get up? He was crushed. He was on the ground. Like any dutiful father and man, he's broken. He arose. He tore his robe, and in 4,000 years ago, that would be a sign of contrition, right? Inner turmoil, it was a physical manifestation of the inner gut-wrenching, spleen-biting, you tear your robe, right? And then he shaves his head. How he put a straight blade to his head, but a man's glory was his hair 4,000 years ago. And he shaved his head in utter brokenness and humility and humiliation, And then he falls back to the ground. Pause right there. At this point, you can see Satan standing under an old oak on the hillside thinking, got him. Told you. He's going to fall like a house of cards. Nothing to it. Take away the treasures. Take away the blessings. Take away the money. Take away the coinage. Take away the camels. Take away his wealth. And he will not worship. And the next word is the game changer. The next word is the proper response to life's hardest troubles and is the best response you can ever deliver. It's a payload of delivery to those who are good and righteous and godly people but yet suffer greatly. Look at it. He arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground and worshipped. Is that not beautiful, folks? That is the right response. That is the biblical response to trials. And then he voices. His theology oozes out of his pain, right? So he doesn't just thank the Lord in gratitude for his good gifts. He thanks him also for the hard ones. Because that's the gospel. That that you're enabled. And that's why James writes... It writes in, in James 5.11, have you heard of the endurance of Job? We need to be reminded of endurance this morning. We need some spiritual ruggedness here, right? But look at the theology come, coming out. Verse 21, he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb. Naked, I'm going to return. 
And the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but those words would hopefully come out of my mouth. But I question it sometimes, to be frank. Can I respond like that? Do I have the the representative character and theology and understanding of why bad things happen to good people so that I could viscerally auto-respond like that? That the muscle of his faith has been so worked and is so strong that that's his visceral response. It's epic. It's a model. It's an archetype for all of us here this morning. And then finally, just a little bit of commentary, and we've covered the whole chapter. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. It's tough as nails, isn't he? Job did it. Let's fast forward 4,000 years. You can do it. Yep, you can do it. You, you do it by holding fast to your integrity, Right? You, you do it by learning to endure in trials. You're not excited you have cancer. You're not excited that things happen bad. Nobody gets excited. That's just straight up weird. Right? You, but you endure through it. At the valley floor, you walk, through the, you walk through the valley, and Jesus is there. And you know, because you know what you've just read, that nothing happens to your precious life and family and children that hasn't first come through the hand of God. He's allowed it to happen. So what you do is you learn to pillow your head on the sovereignty of God every single night. And Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I'm not going to impugn his motives. And remember this. Job didn't know anything that we know. He just, he's out there, you know, you know bringing milk to, to 208 to make a latte. He's having a good time. He gets a call. Tough. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. And all of it, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. We need to worship. We need to worship like this. You're joining families. Covenant and Southbridge are joining families. This is the kind of worship that changes the world. This is why I wanted to go to this encounter, because this encounter is a game changer. Because no matter what happens and how dark it gets and, and how, how difficult it gets, this is the model. And I hope forever you'll remember Job when it's your day and your hour and your storm and comes your way. And it will. It's not if, it's when. But we need to worship like that. Job's, Job's amazing. I'm grateful for him. You should read the whole book of Job. And now we're going to close and I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing a couple songs. And I think we have every reason to sing big and bold this morning, don't you? I mean, I think as we join together as families, I mean, it's pretty awesome what God's doing here. But it, the dark days will come and trials will come, but we worship. We're unstoppable worshipers. And so as the worship team comes up and leads us and as they make their way to come up to, to lead us, let's sing this morning. Let's sing as a reflection of our theology and of what we've learned from Job this morning. Can I pray for you? Father, I pray that you would help us to have this kind of character and integrity. Lord, I pray that you would help us to endure trials, and I know some even here today are under the, in the thick of it.
They're on the valley floor. And I, I pray for them that they would be encouraged and strengthened in the inner man because of Job's example. He wasn't Superman. He was just a man. He didn't have Jesus. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. didn't have the church. didn't have community. didn't have a copy of the scriptures. Lord, yet he remained faithful. And Lord, I pray that when people see our lives in this city, they will see unstoppable worshipers. And they'll be drawn to you, King Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.